Hello, Salon Sleuth fans. My name is Melissa and my co-host is Leslie. We decided we wanted to share our salon stories. We both have an interest in crime stories and a fascination with the psychic world. So settle in each week as we share another story with you. Who knows, you might even learn something. Because we have, Leslie and I have done one uh, visual kind of interview, but the rest have all been over just sound only. So you're kind of our first guinea pig. In, okay. In, in <laughs> so it's kind of fun. Um, but I, I did want to introduce you for our listeners. This is retired detective from Washington County Sheriff's Office, Michael O'Connell. And he helped to launch the interagency major crimes team in 1992. The reason I found you was because you worked on the Deborah Cox case, Cox case. And I got really interested in it because it was really close to where I lived at the time. And um, when you retired, it has been, it was 30 years from the date of that death or disappearance, whatever you want to call it. And you said that that case still haunted you. It, it did and still does haunt me, but it wasn't 30 years. My career lasted. There we go. Yeah. Okay. And I then I put in another two years doing cold cases. Oh, okay. So, so um, I do want to actually talk to you about cold cases. I have a list of questions that I, I'm not going to try to barrage you, but um I do have a lot of questions for you, but let's go into cold cases because Leslie and I, today is actually the anniversary also of Kyron Horman going missing. And so we're we're trying to put together and drop one today about him. But um, I think- one of the things, What's that? It's out already. Oh, okay. One of the things that is so hard for the public is the lack of information and not knowing what's going on. And, um, you know, we talked about it I think so many people rush to judgment and they want to see um, something happen and justice served, but there's a whole other side of the case where you have to have a case that can be brought in front of a jury and really won, right? So um, on, on your side of it, having been a detective and a cold case detective, what does a cold case team look like? Is that something they're looking at every day? Is that just something that sits on your desk and when new leads come in, you pick it up or kind of how does that work? Well, it depends on how it's structured at any given organization. Okay. Um, the, the latter example you gave of a case that sits on your desk, you're doing regular detective work and then you pick up that cold case when you have time, it yeah. doesn't work. Okay. It just doesn't work. And that's what Washington County's trying to do now. And it's just very ineffective. You, you need to have uh, dedicated detectives. What if there's no leads? Like, let's, let's get into Deborah Cox. Um, I think she was episode one of our show and she was, uh, I don't have all of her information in front of me, but she was in her forties. She was a mom of three kids and she dropped off her son at Tigard High School. For a ski trip early in the morning. Early, early, early in the morning. Um, and she, the car was, was there in the parking lot for hours, right? While she was sort of missing. Nobody knew she was missing though, correct? I don't know if we could ever um, prove that it was in the parking lot, but yes, for hours, no one knew she was missing. Yeah. At about 10 that night, her son, Ben, who went on the ski trip, mm -hmm. returns with the group on a bus, and he expected mom to be there to pick him up, and she wasn't there. Okay. So he gets a ride home from someone else, and her car is not home. Oh, it's not home? No, not at that point. About 10, between 10 and 11, when he gets home... Uh, the car's not there. It, and I don't know how much you want me to just ramble. I do. Or... I do. I do want you to ramble because that's one of my questions is, you know, when did the car get placed there and kind of that timeline? One of the frustrations for me, as I'm sure you can appreciate, is 
something like Chiron Horman, there's so much information and some of it's wrong, right? We can, we can probably all agree that some of it's wrong, but with Deborah and her case, there's just no information. I found a few newspaper articles and things, and I obviously found you, but really I was like, there's no information for me to gather. So why don't you talk about that case a little bit from start, start to go or go to, go to, go to where we are. Okay. So Ben gets home. His mom is not home either. He gets a ride from someone else. He starts calling around to find out where his mother is. No one knows. Um, his dad and his mother were separated at the time. He calls his dad. His dad says, I, I don't know where she is. And uh, Ben tells his dad that the mom's station wagon is not home either. Ben is very concerned. He gets a sleeping bag and uh, lays down right in the entryway of the house, close to the door. At about 1 a.m., he hears a car coming by. He thinks it's his mom. He uh, opens the door and looks out, and the car continues by, doesn't stop. Finally, he calls his dad. Oh, and at that time, about 1 a.m. again, Ben determines that Deborah's car is not there. It's not in the driveway. Um, he calls his dad about 4 or 5 in the morning and says, look, something's wrong. She's still not here. And um, he tells his dad that her car isn't there. His dad says, okay, I'll come over. He comes over around 5, maybe 5.30. And uh, all of a sudden, the car is there. And he says to Ben, he says, I thought you said the car wasn't here. Ben goes, it wasn't. And he looks out and sure enough, the car is now there at about between 5 and 6 a.m. Someone brought it back to the house. And was the dad's car out there too then? <laughs> Sorry. Yes, he just arrived Yeah, in his pickup. So cut to the chase. I mean, they had a very bitter divorce, very, or they were in the middle of the divorce. They were separated. It was very bitter. He had slashed her tires in the parking lot after a court hearing, um, allegedly. Um, he was very upset at the money. Um, yeah, he was paying um, about $3,400 a month okay. in combined uh, child support and alimony. And he was okay. very bitter about it. Yeah. Um, and so he he was never really um, an official um, suspect, but he was the only person of interest. Is that is that fair to say? Not the only, but okay. Uh, in my opinion, he was the primary uh, person of interest. Okay, so let's let's go there a little bit. Who else was were were people were the law enforcement? Are you looking at? Well, we looked at all kinds of people. You know, you, you get in the initial phases of these cases, you get tips and many of them are based on innuendo and uh, mere suspicions and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So we looked into that. Um, Deborah was seeing a fellow at about the time we contacted him. Um, Basically, I had, I had heard that she was potentially dating somebody, but I never could find that written anywhere in news articles or anything. And so was he um, was he dismissed as having an alibi or a, not a suspect? No. Okay. No. Okay. And, you know, at that time, I guess my question about DNA about the car was there any DNA testing done on the car? It was that even possible then? I mean, that was a long time ago. It was 1998. Um, is is that still available? Anything? Oh, all of the evidence has been preserved. Okay. And yes, DNA was in use at that time. And we did uh, process several items from the car and uh, as well as her house. And um, everything from her car came back to to her. Okay. Okay. And then the problem is when you have a person of interest who recently lived in the home 
it makes other things uh, not have a lot of weight. For instance, if we found his fingerprint in the house, that's not very helpful because he lived there. Mm -hmm. It's one of the things that made the case more difficult. Same with the boyfriend. He had visited there. Right. And speaking of Ben a little bit, one of the kids had went to live with dad um, previous to the, to her going missing. Was yes, that, that was Tom. Okay, that was Tom. Okay. And so Ben was middle? Was he the middle child? No, he was the oldest. Okay, so he was- Tom's the middle. And then the daughter was the youngest. And then all of the kids went to live with him um, after this. Tell, I guess, tell me where you continued. How did you continue this investigation over all those years with not much to go on? We continued to try to get um, cooperation from the ex-husband, which was difficult. You can read between the lines, in yep. my opinion. Yep. Um, we interviewed the kids. Um, we followed up various leads that came in. Where After several years went by, um, when I had been promoted to sergeant of that unit, of the violent crimes unit, which unfortunately no longer exists um, in its prior form, um, I assigned two detectives from the major crimes team Kevin Dresser from Tigard PD and Ray Markham, who was a sheriff's detective, to uh, reopen the case and go through the whole thing with a fresh set of eyes. And they did that. And they uh, ended up down in the <clears throat> Roseburg area to interview the ex-husband. And to his credit, he actually sat down for an interview with them, which is something uh, he would never do with me other than about a 20-minute interview very early on. But um, that second effort um, didn't break the case either. Um, sometimes it's very helpful to bring in a, a new set of eyes, a new perspective. Perspective. Um, the ex-husband and I uh, didn't exactly get along because he got tired of me pressuring him and trying to gain his compliance and where how were the kids in all of this or or were they really quiet um i feel for them they must have been heartbroken but they must they must have had their own thoughts they did but i'm not sure they ever shared them okay they kind of they kind of compartmentalized the loss of their mother is how i would describe it and they kind of just pushed it away. Was, um, was there any information about how he was as a father? Controlling? Yes. In my opinion, I think that would fit yeah. the description. Yeah. Now, when they found the body, which remind me, but it was, I think it was a couple weeks later. It's about a month later. Okay. And they found her in the Tualatin River. Yes. Um, I found some reports that, that, they theorized or somebody theorized that she'd been dumped out of a car from a, one of the bridges. I assume that was either King city side or the Tualatin side. It was um, farther upstream. I think the bridge at the time was called the Schamburg bridge. Oh, okay. And what happened was at that time, um, the state police had a helicopter and they had a, we contacted them and asked them for help. And when they had a day that was clear, they flew the helicopter up and we had them start in the, uh, at the house, flying over the house and then in a widening circle. Okay. Um, Cause it, in a short distance up there, at least at the time, you, you got away from the houses and there was fields Farm. and farmland and brush patches. And we had them check that and then we then had them go to the nearest bridge to the Tualatin. This was just a theory at the time mm -hmm. and work downstream. And that's how they found her. She was about three quarters of a mile downstream. 
she had um, at one point she had something tied to her probably a weight it had come loose but the rope that had whatever it was that was tied to her was still wrapped around her waist and was there any DNA testing done on the stuff that was tied to her yes but it no result because it had been in the water for okay. a month okay and why do we think she was why do why do people speculate that she was dumped from a car was that and i might have even heard a, a moving car but i was like oh i don't know that no I'm not a moving car off. it's just you know how would you get a the the law it's the logical way to get a body to the tualatin river the nearest river mm -hmm. and then throw her over we later in hopes of finding what what had been tied to her, um, we worked with the uh, Tualatin River Keepers and with uh, Clean Water Services and various experts. And I think it was sometime in June they told us the the Tualatin reaches its lowest level. And um, so we had divers from um, TVFNR um, dive under the bridge and they found all kinds of things uh, motorcycle and grocery carts and but nothing we could conclusively tie to deborah's house or to her case but we tried yeah yeah and also you know it it may whatever was tied to her may not have come loose right away she could have drifted down the river a ways and then it came loose she continued to drift when we found her she was had been hung up on a a log well that's what i was going to say is i don't know where the Shamburg is but is it towards tigard from tigard no, basically it's um if you headed due south from her house yes the way the crow flies yeah it's the closest bridge okay so it's closer to sherwood yeah okay um you, do you know where al's garden shop is yes it's that's exactly where i was thinking it's it near was. there okay yeah in so, fact the road has been reconfigured and uh, it's changed a lot i'm not even sure if if uh the road leads down to that bridge anymore i don't know yeah i'm not sure either so is the thought that somebody had because the water runs towards tiger high school from there Yes. So she would have had to have been dumped near Schamburg or closer to Hillsborough to have kind of moved that direction. Yeah, I, I don't think closer to Hillsborough because I don't think she would have um, made it that far. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She would have been hung up sooner right? on a branch or a log or whatever. Okay. Where did the ex-husband live? He lived off 174th and Walker ah. in the Beaverton area. Had she died before or did she drown? We're, we're pretty sure she had died before. Before? Yes. Okay. Was she beaten? Like a rage, like a fit of rage? She'd been assaulted, yes. Well, you know, sometimes I've heard detectives say it was definitely an act of passion, like um, complete disdain for her. Was it that sort of a thing? You know, know, I'm hesitant to go before. there. Okay. Um, okay. Part of the reason is we didn't, we weren't able to to see or document the, the full extent of the assault on her because she had been in the water for a month she clearly had been assaulted okay. but had we found her right away then i could probably go into that a little more okay okay and sometimes i know you hear that a lot but yeah i don't know sometimes it's a stretch i think it's a little dangerous to get into yeah that the assumptions kind of about yeah that. yeah so was she wearing like pajamas was she wearing regular clothes one of our questions was you know, you arrive at, she was last seen kind of dropping her son off. 
you know, we know at 630 in the morning, you're dropping the kid off for ski bus. You're probably in sweatpants or pajamas and, you know, looking a little raggedy. Was she wearing clothes when you found her? Sweat clothes. Yes. Okay. And she had an appointment to meet a friend for breakfast at eight. So we think she probably went home. She had to get up pretty early, five-ish, to take Ben to the high school. She had an appointment at eight for breakfast with a friend. We believe she probably went home and napped. and She may have been killed then. Okay. Because she never showed up for breakfast. Did not show up for breakfast, no. Did the boyfriend know she was taking Ben to the school? I, uh, the boyfriend? I don't remember. Okay. And were the other two kids at the house at the time? Or the other one child, the little girl? Was she at the house sleeping too? My recollection is that she was not. She had spent the night. Don't quote me on this, but I think she had spent the night at a friend's. And sometime when Ben was, you know, at the house, you know, looking out, waiting for mom to come home. Sometime in the evening, between 11 and midnight, if I remember right, um, the sister came home. Okay. Now, the car, I, I know this was in 1998, so there probably wasn't a lot of cameras, but was there any camera showing that car coming through King City, um, anywhere in the outlying sort of area on 99 that we could have seen it driving? No, there weren't nearly as many cameras back then. And yeah. That didn't pan out. Okay. Uh, well, didn't you say that um, you read somewhere the car was in the school parking lot for a while? Well, that's what I had thought. See, I don't, I don't remember us being able to uh, document that, but okay. it could be. It's been, it's been a while. My memory's not what it used to be. Is there a new person still working on it? Kind of? Currently, I don't think so. Okay. And one of the things that I read, and I don't know if it was your quote or not, I apologize, but it said that the ex-husband refused to give investigators some things that normally cooperative people give and that he was hostile. You've kind of already alluded to that. Um, I would love to know what the some things are that he wouldn't give to investigators. Well, you know, I don't, I, I can't really say anything about things. I don't remember things. All I wanted was a, a sit down, long interview with him. Mm -hmm. um, and he dodged and weaved and at one point told me that he had an attorney, which is fine. That's his right. Um, I got a hold of the attorney to try to orchestrate an interview, even if the attorney was going to be present. I have no problem with that. Right. The attorney said, I don't represent him. Really? Because I was going to say, did he lawyer up immediately? Pretty, pretty, pretty soon thereafter. But to his credit and in the interest of uh, accuracy, years later, when the other two detectives picked up the case, he did sit down with a long interview with them. But uh, he only gave me about a 15 or 20 minute interview and then said he had to rush off. And in a case like that, you, you really need to talk to the people that are closest to the victim or had lived with the victim. They're the ones that know their habits. Um, and that was just a huge uh, piece that was missing we didn't get because of his um, did, did he uncooperativeness have in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. And if he had nothing to hide, why hide anything? Like, why wouldn't you sit down and, and want to find the mother yes. of, your, of yeah. your kids? Um, did he have a key to the house? I don't recall. Okay. Okay. There was no sign at the house of struggle or anything. Not that I can comment on. Okay. Ooh, not that you can comment on. In all the years that you've been doing this, you must have come across a case where there had been a a family who uh, maybe were in the midst of like separating. Do they still typically try to help or do they 
shut down like this guy. Most of the, uh, in my experience, most of the ones that were not involved in the crime are generally try to be as helpful as they can. Yeah. But you, you sometimes have circumstances where they might be protecting someone else. Right. I, I don't know. Right. It was, it was difficult. Um, Roger Musler was my partner at the time. He was a very good detective. He, uh, he worked on it as harder, harder than I did. And, um, we just couldn't break it. And one of the reasons that it's so troubling is that, um, her parents were some of the nicest people you would ever meet. And, um, in fact, her dad was retired from either the Navy or the Air Force. I can't remember. His name was Dixon. He and her mom, Shirley, um, came out here. They actually lived in Virginia. But when this happened, they came out here. I think they may have been on a road trip and weren't terribly far away. And they spent a couple months here. And um, Dixon died of a heart attack on the way back home. And I'm sure it's not an exaggeration to say that he died of a broken heart. Yeah. And it really sounded like from the interviews that I heard from Sharon, yeah, Sharon, the mother of Deborah was that she never really Shirley. did. Shirley, Shirley, sorry. Yeah. She never did say anything bad about um, Deborah's ex-husband. She just continued to say, I'm here for the kids. I'm here for the kids. So yeah. uh, my, my hat's off to her. I have one question about the middle son. Um, what, did he have a tumultuous relationship with his mother? Is that why he was living with his dad or he just chose to live with it? The, there had been some, some problems. Okay. And um, yeah, he, he had moved out. Uh, I think she may have asked him to, he was at a, you know, I think he was 14 or 15 and he was um, having some issues, but I will say that of uh, all the kids, he was the most cooperative. Oh. Really? Not even the oldest who staked out and. Yeah. I mean, the oldest man, he, he talked to us, um, but he just, was kind of distant, kind of, I think he compartmentalized it. and In shock, maybe? I I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. And I'm, I don't want to portray him as being uncooperative. He wasn't uncooperative. Right. It's just Tom had the passion and the interest and the sadness that you would really expect. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> one of the things that, you know, time tends to rattle loose some things, right? Um, it's been interesting to me that these kids are now adults, um, that nothing is sort of shooken loose or had suspicion or they haven't wanted to figure out, you know, what did happen to my mom and who was involved. Has there ever been a phone call to the Washington County Sheriff's Detective Unit to say, hey, you know, is somebody looking at this? I still want to know. From the kids? Yeah. No. Not to my knowledge. And I think I would know. Yeah. Which is odd. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if you, how much you've looked into him, but I did look into him and, like, what he's doing now. And, you know, um, I was telling Leslie that he built this replica, this wiffle ball court replica of, um, was it, was it a uh, Dodger stadium? One of, one of the stadiums down in drain. So he bought a bunch of acreage and he, and I think it was Tom built this life-size replica of the stadium and people, and he was on, you know, in the news and, you know, being chatted up with the local TV people and everything. And I just was like, oh, okay. I knew he had that he had moved down to that area. I didn't know about the stadium. He actually had a, a conflict with one of his neighbors that um, was on the verge of erupting into violence. And uh, 
I, I went down and interviewed that neighbor. Oh, in, in Roseburg or in Drain? Mm -hmm. In Drain, yeah. Interesting. Did what? he get insurance money when she died? I think so. What I remember most about the insurance is, well, there was money in her estate. And she was using it to fund a civil case, a wrongful death suit against him. And the standard of proof in a civil proceeding is the preponderance of the evidence, more likely than not as opposed to beyond a reasonable doubt in a criminal case. Right. And um, she'd hired some good attorneys in Portland. And Mrs. Um, Shirley had done this? But it was, it was stopped because uh, Judge McGilligate ruled that she couldn't use the funds from the estate to finance the civil suit that the money should go to the kids. So that ended the civil suit. And um, it was interesting. Is there precedence for that? Is there what? Is there precedence for that? I, I don't, I don't know. Judge McGilligate was a very good judge. Um, I didn't agree with his decision, but I'm not a judge. Yeah. I'm not a lawyer. And um, I, Mike McGilligate was not the kind of judge to make a ruling without it being on solid ground. Um, Can you tell us what the neighbor said about the ex-husband? Had to do with an easement with an access road that um, Jim was trying to deny him even though he had lived there for years before Jim brought that property and they had a standoff one day. And I think I can't remember one of them had a chainsaw in his hand and, and I don't remember, remember which one it was. And he remarried. Um, yes. Uh, Sandra and um, they subsequently divorced. Oh, they did. Okay. Cause I couldn't figure out if he was still married to her and have it investigators no. ever talked to her. Yes. And does she say he has a violent streak? Um, I, I wasn't part of that interview. That was the, the two other detectives, uh, dresser and uh, Markham. And I, I don't remember, uh, what she told them about, about that. She yeah. didn't have a lot to say. Okay. Do you think we, the kids were scared of him? I think that's a possibility in my opinion, yes. I think there was some intimidation. The civil suit was interesting in that the attorney, I mean, until it was stopped, there were hearings and depositions. I was deposed, several other people were. The attorney that had represented Jim in that case, uh, Mike Shin uh, was later disbarred on an unrelated matter. Um, that's near here nor there, I guess. I don't know if he's been reinstated or not. Hmm. And then, are you familiar with the Dead by Sunset? Yes. Case? Yes. Brad, what was his last name? Killed his wife, left her in a car yeah. on the Sunset Highway. Yep, yeah. made it look like she was like she did it. Yep, right, or or that it had been a car wreck. Uh, Ann Rule wrote a book about it. Yep, Mike Shin, who represented Jim in the Cox case, was on the other side and represented the plaintiff, the woman's family, in the Dead by Sunset case. Wow. Huh. Is Brad Cunningham? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good one. So what do you think is going on right now in this case? Is it even being looked at or, you know, on somebody's desk or is it just pretty much been forgotten? Oh, it could be on somebody's desk. I mean, you know, there are, there are some excellent detectives at the sheriff's office 
um, that are over love them. Pardon uh, me. Over overworked and underpaid. Yes. Um, you know, some of them are better than I ever was, but there's not, the leadership is not the same. I was very lucky when I was there. I mean, I worked with some of the best detectives in the state of Oregon, Scott Ryan, uh, Larry McKinney, Ed Bowman, Roger Musler. Those guys were top notch. They're all gone. And you know, that's just the natural progression of things. People retire, but it's changed. Um, we were the violent crimes unit. We we specialized in these kind of cases um, and we didn't, we weren't distracted by other kinds of cases unless it was really rare. Well, now all that's changed and now they've, they've merged the violent crimes with the child abuse unit and um, it's just not the same. Yeah. Yeah. So it could be sitting on somebody's desk, but it's somebody that doesn't have the time to work on it. Right. Other than like a confession, is there any way to solve it? Oh, there, there are people that probably know exactly what happened that weren't necessarily involved that for one reason or another have not come forward. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. I, I don't think people do something like that and either don't talk about it or don't do something else again, stupid. You know, they, they think, oh, I've gotten away with it. And, you know, yeah. But, you know, sometimes they can get get away with it for um, a long time. Yeah. One of the cold cases that I worked was 30 years old when uh, we solved it. And it was a particularly brutal sexual assault murder of a 17-year-old girl from Aloha who had, was dumped in a ditch naked. Um, had been... Um, sexually mutilated in part and that fellow stopped for 30 years that's the exception yeah generally you don't quit after a crime like that but so that was his only crime that he had done no his only crime of that nature oh was he a boyfriend no he was an acquaintance um from the apartment complex he had an obsession with her he um was uh, the last known person to see her alive, which almost always is the solution. Right. And the last person to see them alive, they're either the killer or they're a witting or unwitting witness. They know something that leads to the solution of the case. And uh, a lot, one of the things that happens, you know, that case had been looked at by several detectives. It was the, the victim was Lori Billingsley mm -hmm. and the suspect was Kenneth Hicks. And um, it was a pretty high profile case because of the nature. I think I looked into that one and um, he was a, he, no, okay, that wasn't him. Didn't you also have some ties to the serial killer? Uh, Baroni? Caesar Baroni, yes. Yes, 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 yes. I was one of several detectives that worked on that. Yeah. But on the Hicks case, what typically happens is, these wild theories begin to build. And, oh, there was one detective that was convinced that it was the Green River Killer. Another detective was convinced it was a serial killer from Portland named Alvin Brown. Well, it turned out, as is usually the case, it was none of those elaborate theories. It was last known person, last to, person to see her alive, neighbor who was obsessed with her. My husband always says, when you hear foot um, hoof steps, think horses, not zebras. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. that was a case where DNA was. She was killed in '82. DNA was not in use at the time, but all the samples were taken and, and preserved, sent to the crime lab. Uh, at that time, they would rely on blood type, which might get you the result of well 30 percent of white males in oregon have this blood type or something like that right and then about every 10 years the 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 swabs from her autopsy 
would get sent in and we would get the result saying there's no DNA here. And then uh, Ray Markham actually sent him in again, I think for the third time, about 10 years had elapsed. And lo and behold, the crime lab calls and says these swabs are full of DNA semen. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going, well, why were you telling us that there wasn't? And we, we, we don't know the answer for sure. It could be more accurate testing methods. Microscopes have gotten better. Um, but sure enough, the DNA was uh, had been there all along. It just took about 30 years to. Did you already have his DNA? No. So the first thing we did, we ran that DNA through the database, CODIS. Yeah. Um, and we didn't get any hits, which again kind of pointed to him because I knew he was not in the database. So I obtained a search warrant for his uh, DNA. And um, Detective Murray Rao and I went out to serve it. And, and this was I know a lot of detectives. Later. What's this that? This was 30 years later, and he's still in the area, too, right? Lived out in St. Helens, and it, as soon as I knocked on the door, I knew he had done it. He was not happy to see us. Didn't want to comply with the search warrant. So I told him, I said, well, read down here. It says if you don't cooperate, we're, we can forcefully take you to the hospital for a blood draw. And we had a state trooper just down the road ready to help us if that's what we had to do. So he finally consented to the oral swabs, and um, but he he was he looked like the cat that had swallowed the canary. Yeah, and he didn't really want to give a, an interview, and um, so I said, well, "Can I ask you just one or two questions before we left?" He said, "Yeah," and I said, uh, "You've always made oh." He didn't want to talk to us. He said, you've already got my statement from back then. You guys recorded it. Well, which was true. Jim Welch, the original detective, had recorded it, his statement. And um, I said, so, Ken, you referred to your original statement. Yeah. I said, you maintained in that statement that you'd never had any kind of sexual relations with her. Is that still your position today? Um, he said, yes. Okay. So then we send the DNA in and it matches and it really matched. It was like one in more than the population of the earth. Right. Would have that. And there was no okay. DNA in the Deborah Cox case. You don't have a single bit of DNA, anything. Mm, I can't really say that, but I can't okay. expound either. Okay. Okay. Is there a possibility this could be solved with DNA? Yes. Was the um, DNA that may have been found for the Deborah Cox in the car? Mm, I shouldn't say. Okay. I think it's going to be on her body, Leslie. I think that's the only thing. was in the water for too long. Well, I know, but something either that was holding her or on her body would be the, the, the linchpin. If it's in the car he could have said that he was in the car, like the boyfriend, the husband. I mean, I don't know. That's just my thought that it would have to be, have been something that was on her body or in her body or something. I don't know. I know. I have he, to be careful about that topic. I know. He said he would answer anything. Um, Cause I said, okay, what can I answer? What can I answer? And he said, well, I'll answer anything that I, that I can answer. And if I can't, I'll just show you, I can, I go, okay. <laughs> As just like people like us who are just researching cases and then talking about them, are there any resources that we might be missing that you could tell us about? Um, it's kind of delicate, but I think it probably would be very illuminating to talk to um, family members of um, particularly cases that have been resolved and solved. I mean, their, their perspective often gets ignored and I think it could be very helpful. Um, I don't know if Deborah would talk to you, but 
something you might consider. She's a wonderful lady. Who's Deborah? Shirley's mom. Oh, I'm sorry. Shirley, Deborah's Sh mom. Shirley's dead. That. Shirley's dead. She, she got is? She, she did. When? That's a great question. Um, you could call the, the other ex-wife, Melissa. Yeah, I know. I'll let you do that. I'll send you that, Jeff. Yeah, Sandy. That might be interesting. Yeah. Um, I found her obituary. I'll have to send that to you. Oh, that's sad. You know, I, um, in the uh, intervening years, I've been back to the D.C. area twice, and I um, saw Shirley both times. I was going to say, I think I, I actually um, read that you had went back there and visited yeah. her. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know she'd passed. I know she was battling uh, breast cancer, but... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Had I known I probably would have gone to her funeral. I did research and found her obituary. Actually, yeah. um, she seemed like a great woman and really just oh, she was and wanted the best for her grandkids and her daughter. And you know, my heart beats for her. Um, so you Deborah know, had a had at least one sister. Oh, she did. Yes, I don't remember the name. She's also a very articulate and uh, wonderful woman. Okay. You said the car showed up around five or six a.m. When did the ex-husband show up? Well, that's interesting because Ben became aware that the car had returned when his dad arrived. His dad arrives after Ben called him, comes in and says, I thought you said her car wasn't here. And Ben said, well, it wasn't. It isn't. And Jim says, well, yeah, it is. It's right there in the driveway. So I, and then, but ben in my had opinion, his own that's a little suspicious. I'm sorry, what? He had his own car there, though? Yes. And, and my thought was immediately going to the other son, but he wasn't old enough to drive. Right. Not to say that he couldn't drive. But, you know, who else would it have been easy to say, hey, you need to drive my car. I'm going to drive this car and we're going to park it here. It could have been another associate that we weren't aware of. Who, who knows? I, I just somebody don't. probably knows. He probably didn't do that by himself. We had no Uber. He would have had a taxi. There would have been proof. I don't know if you ever looked for a taxi that came there, but if he dropped the car off, he would have had to go back to Beaverton to get his own car. Yeah, I, I suspect that if he's the one that dropped the car off, that he had some help. Yeah. And that's yeah. another thing well, to remember when you're looking at these is what has changed in society in the intervening years? Um, like you say, no Uber. Um, you know, in the Billingsley case, you know, things were even more different in 82 when that no happened. Phones. What's that? No cell phones, no credit cards. Yeah. Yeah. So you had no. Well, so let's just say he went to the house or to the school and put her in her own car, right? His car was already over there. Like he could have done whatever he needed. You mean the dad's car? The dad's yeah, car? Yeah. He wouldn't have gone all the way back home. He would have just had to hide one of the cars. Oh, that's true. In that area. So even if his car was still at Tiger High School, he could have easily, you know, walked to it or. You know, brought the her car home and then ran to Tigard and brought, brought it's it back. A long way though, from Bull Mountain to Tigard. I mean, yeah, it's, oh, it was. I, I thought she was closer to high school, but yeah, no, it's like th probably three miles. I'd say. Okay. I don't exactly know where they lived on Bull Mountain. So, um, Leslie, do you have any questions on this one? Because I want to kind of get his his take on some of the other things that we're talking about. Right? Oh no, go ahead. I want to oh. hear. So Alyssa Watterson, I'm sure you've heard of her because she's local to where you are. Can you talk about her case? Do you know anything about it? I do. I'm, You're, I've been hired by the family to oh, okay. work on it. Can you talk about that case at all? We have been following A little bit. I mean, have to be more, more guarded. Careful. Okay. I kind of was hoping you were the, the person that was um, helping the family because I did know that somebody was helping the family. Um, there's so 
similar to this case, there's so much surrounding the person that last saw her. And obviously COVID has done us no favors in this case to look for her. Absolutely. Is there any leads other than the person that last saw her? Yes, but I I can't go into the details. Um, Now, this is a case that the major crimes team is actively working. Okay. And um, the cream of the crop. Okay, good. I got, I had some influence on uh, who was going to be picked to work on it through past connections. And um, what I'll say is the group that's currently working on it, if they can't solve it, nobody can. Okay. How confident are you that it will get solved quickly? Oh, I don't know. I don't know that it'll be solved quickly. Um, I'm confident that it'll be solved. Okay. Um, there's a a memorial for her. Um, that may be the tonight. tonight. Wrong right. word. I think it's tomorrow, isn't it? Yeah. Vigil. It's her birthday tomorrow. Yeah. Twenty first birthday. Yeah. Right. Um. It's another case that's. Uh, Well, all I'll say is that I would have done some things differently if I were still working it from the inside, but. Are they actively searching for her anymore on the ground? No, that COVID put an end to that temporarily, but it's my understanding that they're going to, again, very soon be searching. It's possible that they just missed her. I mean, it happens, and I don't know if you've ever, if you're familiar with that area, but it's full of uh, forested areas and ravines and canyons, and it's difficult. One of the things that um, is, I guess, heartbreaking is we did talk to the mother. Um, Misty? Yeah, Miss. Wonderful lady. Yes, yes. Is that um, there's so many questions that Ben either doesn't know the answer to or hasn't been able to answer. Uh, or refuses. Refuses to answer. Um, has he been uncooperative? And do you at, continue? At times. Okay. And then at other times, um, he was cooperative. Um Initially, I, I I was and still am very suspicious of his reactions and uh, attitude. But again, that's in my opinion. Yeah. Um, what about what about his father and his father's play in all of this? Not totally cooperative. Is that, in your opinion, based on not wanting to get his son in trouble? Or, in your opinion, is he somehow involved in the cover-up? Oh, I I can't say for sure. I think he, it, more likely, uh, is trying to protect his son. How many waterways are in that area? Well, there's Dairy Creek, but it's considerably to the west of where this happened. Um, You know, there are some small streams. There are some um, farmer's ponds that that that's about it. Not waterways are not the predominant uh, feature of that area. I keep thinking a small stream, like a like a sewer, like, you know, sewer pipe kind of stream, because he was really wet that morning. And it didn't, from what I can find and what I remember, it wasn't pouring down rain that he would have been sopping wet in that morning in the truck still. Can you it, tell it had been, it, it had been pretty wet. If he had spent part of the night outdoors up there, he, he would have been pretty wet. Okay. Leslie, do you have any questions on that? I actually have a million. Oh, I'm just holding. Did you ever see, why was he running around why were they running around in the woods 
Why were they out there anyway that night? Do you know? They had friends that lived in the area. They had, um, uh, let's say, partied at that house for a couple days. Um, then they got a ride back down to the Hillsboro area. Um, then he stole a pickup, Ben did, and went back up to the area. And that's when they ended up on foot. And why the car still worked. He went and picked the car up later with his dad and the car functioned. So why did they abandon that car? And then I don't know. then they I told the neighbor that it wasn't working, right? Something like that. I don't know why they abandoned it. I've heard that it was stuck, but if it was stuck, how could they drive it the second time? A lot of it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Here, here's one of the biggest problems with this case and others like it is meth and the effects of meth on the mind. And it comes from two sides. One side is if meth users are trying to be helpful and several of them have been and phoning in tips, the tips tend to be very bizarre, outlandish stories. Some of them are so bizarre, you can dismiss them out of hand. So that's one of the problems. But most of them you have to run down, and they most of them turn out to be not truthful. Well, and the friends that they were at on Friday night were not far away from where they ultimately bedded down, and he says she walked off, correct? Right, not terribly far. Yeah. So... Were they let, let me finish my one thought. Oh, yeah. Then on the other end of the meth equation oh. is if the people, let's say her boyfriend, if he's a meth user, his behavior is distorted because of the paranoia from the meth use. So you you don't really know if he, you know, at one point there was information that they were being chased by someone. You don't know if that's really true yeah. or is it just in his mind? Well, and that's the question with that one. Like, is there any proof? Is there anything to back that somebody was chasing them or they'd been, because he also told at the fire station, right, that he'd been robbed. Is there any proof to that? No. And the fact that there aren't a lot of new leads coming in kind of points back to him. Yeah. I don't and know of all this other stuff about being robbed beforehand or chased. It certainly is being looked into, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to wonder if any of that was true. Do we know if she was high on meth? We don't think she was. No. <sighs> Maybe something else. Oh, I mean, who possible. would follow somebody who is on meth without being on drugs with them? If it was something else. Pardon or me? was she just trying to take care of him? Like watching after him without being using herself? That could have been part of it. Could have been part of it. I think I, I just I don't think she was I don't know if she was using meth that night. He was clearly. Do you know if she had in the past? I think so. Okay. I think she'd at least dabbled in it. And but the but the friends say she didn't on Friday night, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, they were pretty adamant about that that she hadn't been using meth on Friday or Saturday. Now, this is a question. I guess I don't know if I'm using the term right, but is this the red herring? Um, that you know the neighbor frank who found ben in his truck that morning who was found taking down the signs is this a sign of a guy who's just frustrated and tired of people trampling on his on his you know property and stuff and sick of the the media spotlight or is this a guy who has something to hide i don't know you could you could agree to your first possible answer had it only been signs near his home mm 
I actually caught him removing a sign from a telephone pole, a power pole, at the McDonald's in North Plains. Now that's about six miles from his house. There's no excuse for that. And I confronted him. And um, what did he say? Oh, I can't use those kind of obscenities. Okay. He wasn't very nice about it. Um, I even asked him if he had anything to do with her disappearance. And again, he just hurled obscenities at me. Um, Is he a single guy? No. Does he a have woman a that lives there. Does he have a basement? Does he have a basement or sheds and? They're sheds, but I think they were checked. Okay. Because the, the dogs actually. Um, had hits or something. Yeah, hit, hit at his house, right? That's what I'm told, yes. Kind of as... I don't know how much, you know, weight to put into that. You know, he could just be... Disgruntled. An odd duck who's not a nice person. In fact, but from your experience, when somebody does behavior like that, what does that say to you? What is it just from you, what you've experienced in the past? Your gut. It certainly would warrant a close examination of him, his past, um, his personality. Because um, he certainly seemed nice enough to, to take Ben home, who was, you know, hiding out in his truck. And to if take I found somebody in my car, I wouldn't take him home, would you? Well, no, I wouldn't as a woman, but I think as a man, it's a little different. Yeah, I don't know. I found that a little odd, too. And... Um, I interviewed him. That was long before we had our little falling out over him removing the sign down by the McDonald's. He was speaking very negatively about Misty and Allison. And yet he spoke glowingly about Ben. And I found that odd. I found that very odd. And then when you add the removing of the signs... Like I said, it warrants. Did he know examination. that before? I don't think so. So he talked negatively about about Allison when he conceivably never met her before. Correct. And said, that girl is in a house in Vegas or LA, and the implication was she was being trafficked or involved in prostitution somehow. And then he had some snippy things to say about Misty and the signs. I'm sick and tired of that woman and all her damn signs words to that effect. Which Does is... he have children? No. I think you should call I... him, Melissa. I do too. Uh, we'll <laughs> he will be in his backyard be with the girl, on. so no. <laughs> I tried the children end of it. I said, I said, well, Misty's he, he thought because signs were posted near his home that Misty was accusing him. And I said, That's, she's not accusing you. I said, put yourself in her shoes. What if your daughter was missing? I don't have a daughter. Uh, well, what if your son was missing? I don't have a son. In my opinion, he's just not a very nice man. And also that's just deflection. He's just yeah. deflecting the conversation to, I don't have, he, he doesn't want to empathize with anybody at that point. Yeah. You know, and it could just be a total distraction. I don't know. I hope not. Um, but I can't imagine if he wanted to take the signs down from the immediate area of his house. Okay. I guess I could understand that, but all the way down to North Plains. Yeah. Was he the one who had an interaction with um, somebody with a uh, drone on his property? No. Okay, that was somebody. That was someone else. Okay. That was actually the owner of the property where we believe she was last seen. And that person has actually been very helpful. Okay. And is, has done the right thing all along. and Feels very bad for, for Misty and... And that's what you would expect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how most people up there have reacted. That's why I found uh, um, Ralph's reaction strange. But again, it could just be 
a not nice person and that's not yeah. against the law. A grumpy curmudgeon mm -hmm. who has no empathy for others and yeah. But why would he think Ben was so great? I don't know. Did he know? Well, ben? part of it was he he kept going on and on about how polite Ben was to him and apologized for sleeping in his truck and referred to him as sir. And some reason that really won him over. But, but the fact that know, Ben smokes meth is not a big deal to him. Well, I don't know if he knew that. He certainly should have suspected it. Um, I, I I don't know. I just, I don't know. So we can, can we safely say that somebody's looking at Ralph and examining that? Yes. Okay. Good. <laughs> that makes us feel better. I want to share with you one of my go-to pieces of clothing during this stay-at-home order. I have literally been living 24-7 in shorts or leggings and, of course, my favorite sports bra. I've been wearing this sports bra since it was created, but I wanted to share with our listeners and give you a discount code. I'm so excited. I only wear handful bras, and that's handful.com because they are so comfortable and easy to wear. They also flatter, not flatten, if you know what I mean. They come in adorable colors and patterns, so you can wear them with anything. Through the summer, I'm always in a handful. My new favorite design of theirs is the double down bra, but I have all the styles and the leggings, and I love their leggings. They're wonderful. So I wanted to share with you, go to handful.com, and use the code Salon Sleuths. It's spelled S-A-L-O-N-S-L-E-U-T-H-S. You're going to get 25% off any one item on their entire site, including sale items. So I encourage you, check it out. You will literally not be sorry. The adjustable bra, for those of you who may be long torsoed or long or short, whatever, you can adjust it to where you fit. Love them, love them, love them. Get yourself one. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.